Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Hello, we're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, the CEO of Clean Technica, and I'm actually super excited about this podcast. This is one of the most uh, one of the ones I've been most excited about in a while. We have Selena Mikowajczak from uh, Lighten, if that's how you pronounce it, uh, yeah. an EV battery company. But Selena has a really interesting background in the EV space. She's worked for Tesla, Panasonic, and QuantumScape. So it's quite it's quite a CV there. Like this is, I mean, you got the the legacy leader Panasonic, who you know basically helped was critical to Tesla, Tesla, you know, ushering in the EV revolution of our era. Of course, Tesla, and then QuantumScape, which there was a lot of uh, hype and excitement about for years, and uh, it's a very interesting outfit and, and approach. And then with Lighten you're getting into new technology. So we'll get into that in a second, but just curious more to hear about your your background. Yeah, how you got into this industry in the first place. I imagine when you got into it, it wasn't necessarily the obvious up and coming industry to uh, to, to study or to, or to get involved in. And then how, how you transitioned from uh, your early days into Tesla, Panasonic and QuantumScape. Sure. Well, lovely to be here. I'm really glad to do the interview. I've been reading Clean Technica periodically, so I appreciate your guys reporting. How I got into this, yeah, uh, when I started with lithium-ion batteries, they were barely a thing, right? Uh, My first job in lithium-ion batteries was evaluating safety, whether uh, they posed a threat in transport in aircraft cargo holds. I was at a consulting company called Exponent, and we were hired by industry group to evaluate this and to take a look at the risks that um, lithium-ion batteries posed. At that time, this was a minor product. I mean, lithium-ion batteries were, oh, this was the late 90s in camcorders and starting to be in laptops, but laptops weren't that prevalent, right? So, you know, it's just kind of a minor thing. Yeah, Yeah, I remember laptops were like pretty exclusive, rare when, I mean, in the, even the early 2000s when I was in yeah. college I didn't have a laptop I had a you know a, a computer a desktop computer that was quite big <laughs> yeah uh, I don't remember when I first got a laptop but it was definitely I think this is something that's sort of uh, really not often discussed and forgotten is that it was really the sort of transitions in laptops and and smart smartphone technology cell phone technology mm-hmm. I think if I understand it correctly that really scaled up lithium-ion battery production brought down costs and then enabled you know Tesla to put thousands of Panasonic batteries, small Panasonic batteries in the in the car, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how the industry kind of came up the technology ramp. Those first lithium-ion cells that Sony was making, they were like less than an amp hour in an eighteen six fifty cylindrical format. I don't know what the cycle life was. They were just for camcorders, and they were like fifty bucks a cell. I mean, they're crazy expensive, not really that performant, but you know. And there weren't, they weren't available at high volume either. I actually got to see as a consultant, one of the earlier lithium ion lines and it was slow, you know, it was really slow, right? But, you know, as they, uh, as they put these things into high value customer products, 
They got faster at making them. They brought the price down. They brought the performance up. It was, you know, the joke was 5% energy density increase, 5% cost reduction every year. That was the expectation, right? Yeah, yeah I'm sure you were so, looking at that early production line thing. And, oh, yeah, these will power all of our cars in uh, 15, 20. <laughs> not remotely. Not remotely. You know, and then and then I was doing a little business in like, you know, because Exponent's a consulting company. People would send me a burned up laptop and say, what caused the fire, right? So, you know, you're looking at these ashes and you're taking the remains of cells apart and taking a look, trying to figure out what actually happened, why this thing um, catch fire. You know, and this was, these were small jobs. You know, Exponent, there would be people doing these big giant fires and explosions that happen that uh, lots of people care about, get into the press. And, you know, I'm out there in the lab doing these little battery fires that, you know, they're just in the background, right? But, you know, the funny thing is, then there's more and more battery work. And I did, you know, some fire investigation and then I was doing safety testing for people. And then, you know, I developed some safety testing strategies and, and uh, methods for, for various, you know, electronic device makers that they might want to use. You know, I was doing a lot of work in lithium ion cells. We were through the first generation of makers. So the Japanese had been making cells for a long time. They were having fewer and fewer incidents. But, you know, there was a new batch of makers in Korea and then China who were seeing some of the same problems that the Japanese had seen previously. And it was getting a little like, huh, I've already seen this once before, right? And then, yeah, and then Tesla hired me because they were about to ramp Model S. They needed someone to lead cell quality for Tesla. It was separate from all the other quality functions because cells were so crucial. I was on the battery team and went, okay, this will be fun. And at the time, I didn't know if Tesla was going to make it another nine months. It yeah, was, of course. Yeah, especially, you. I mean, you talk to insiders and they're like, you know, I mean, yeah. some, I, there's a guy, a friend of mine here, David Havasi, who was an early, on, on an early team. And he was like, we just worked so hard. We were working so hard constantly. We didn't have time to think about whether the company was going to survive or not. But I mean, they fully believed in the mission, the, the yeah. you know, how important it was. And that's what, that's what made it happen. But it was fascinating. Like, I mean, just it's crazy. It's got to be really wild to look back on that. And and then what did you study that got you into that in the first place? What what was your your educational well, background? I'm actually I'm actually a mechanical engineer. OK. Uh, you know, I finished university in 91 and then I was in graduate school. And again, you know, when I was in university, there were no lithium ion batteries. No, you were just thinking <laughs> like, this is interesting or, or, no. I mean, well, I guess you weren't, yeah, there was not, you were doing other stuff and, yeah. then, and you got into that industry sort of like you're looking for a job or something. You're like, oh, this is a job. No, no I'm actually, you know, I, I did graduate school. I studied combustion, which is fire science. Okay. Right. So when I got a job at Exponent, I was a, a fire expert. So that included fire investigation and fire safety questions and thermal sciences in general, right? So the combination of fluid dynamics and combustion kinetics and, and chemistry. So you were Which, just drawn to the topic of stuff blowing up and catching fire, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> I know. it's very strange. But, I'll have to talk you to know, your parents another time. Actually, you have a Polish last name. Uh, yeah. I was curious about that. We'll leave that for the end of show, you know, kind of uh, extra time kind of questions. But yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's fascinating. So then how long, and I mean, how long were you at Tesla then? For I was at Tesla, I think six years. So from before the Model S ramp 
to after we got Model 3 ramped and running. This is the big, this is the golden age, the golden era of Tesla. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's great what they're doing now, but I mean, this was the, I mean, we, we covered uh, it from, from the, from the right before the Model S came out to, I mean, to today, yeah. but you know, there was that, that period of time when everything was do or die. Nobody yeah. believed in Tesla. Of course, yeah. it, there was a fanatical, you know, group of us who were following everything closely and believed in it and, you know, hung on every every news tidbit we could get. And then, you know, just tremendous technical team. I mean, you guys, you the core technical team, which you were a core part of. I mean, oh, yeah. I think it's you, you're legendary. So you go down the in the engineering books, probably. But so then <laughs> so what led you? You wanted a new adventure or what what pulled you away from there? Yeah, um, actually, I got uh, I got pulled away first to Uber. The uh, director at Uber wanted someone to lead battery team to do aircraft, electric aircraft, which, you know, I'd already done a couple of cars, right? And, you know, I knew a lot about batteries. And, you know, it was kind of the next adventure. It was a chance to lead lead a full battery team, which was, you know, an expansion. I'd been leading quality. I'd led a bunch of materials research as well at Tesla. I'd done a lot of regulatory work. I did a lot of things at Tesla like everyone did, right? So it's like an opportunity to lead an entire battery team, which included pack design, right? All the commercial side of it. It was a big new adventure. So I went and did that. Well, Uber kind of exited hardware, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember that era too, because uh, EVOTL, uh, uh-huh. electric vertical takeoff and, and landing aircraft became a huge like like everybody was was talking about them everybody was writing about them and i was sort of like well these are interesting you know but it was when uber like had set, set up a big conference a big yep. they, they would have a big conference they would lead on this industry and you're like wow this is getting interesting and of course some of the big aircraft companies big uh, aviation companies are in the space as well but you expect they have to be because what if something happens there yeah. But Uber's big move there was like, wow, this is really, they believe in this. And, you know, they've got, they're putting together a big team. So that's that's interesting that that's what pulled you out. And I mean, just generally speaking, you must be, you could retire for life, I'm sure. Like you could be golfing or whatever you you would do, but you obviously love this field and you love, you know, you you you, you must love uh, exploring new, new, ven- new ventures, new aspects of this, of this technology, right? Well, retirement is super boring. I mean, come on, man. I, you know, doing batteries, you know, it's a it's a ton of work. It is a grind. It is a slog. doesn't matter, right? Because it's just super hard. These are more engineered than you think. But you're changing the world continuously. Come on. And this is this is how you attack climate change. And this is how you also, you know, usher in a new generation of uh, transportation vehicles, right? What's more exciting than that? What the hell would I do during retirement? Like, oh, it's very I don't good. know. Take up knitting, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. Different. Yeah, yeah. But well, let's jump to Lighten. I'm not sure you have to uh-huh. t- tell me if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, anyway. this, is, this is the problem with being a writer and editor. Is you know you read and write everything, and then you forget. Oh wait, how do you say that before you get on a podcast? But uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about that. Um, there's a lot to talk about there, but I'll just let you start with a general intro. Yeah, so Lighten is actually a materials company. Uh, we make three-dimensional graphene materials, which are different than planar graphene. They come in all kinds of different shapes, right? So what it does is it allows you to make make these materials work in a lot of different applications. 
So some of the 3D uh, graphenes that we make can be used to lightweight composites. They can be used to improve concrete by just being mixed in. They can be used for a variety of different sensors because they have super high surface areas. So you can do vapor sensing, you can do resonance sensing. Uh, super interesting. One of the other things that they can do is that they can hold on to other molecules. And for lithium sulfur batteries, they can hold on to sulfur. Now, what is a lithium sulfur battery? It's kind of like a lithium ion battery, but only kind of. Lithium is the ion that moves back and forth between anode and cathode, but instead of having a mixed metal oxide, an NCA, like what's in my Model 3 or an NMC, you use sulfur as the cathode. And that's kind of interesting. Sulfur is incredibly abundant. It's incredibly cheap. So when you talk about wanting to electrify everything, the only way you get there is with the lithium sulfur chemistry, because that element, sulfur is so abundant that you can actually do this. There's difficulties. Yeah. You know, coming from you, because I mean, a lot of weight behind what you're saying. So that's a big, can you just repeat that one more time? So we, that's a big statement, I think, if that's. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I want to electrify everything. Right. And the only way you electrify everything is you go to a chemistry like lithium sulfur, because that's when you get to a chemistry that can be cheap enough that everyone's car can run on a battery. It's cheap enough that and abundant enough that you can make uh, grid storage and things like power walls super available and abundant. So with lithium sulfur, you're really going after energy abundance for the world, which is amazing. It's also super hard. <laughs> like, yeah, well, yeah, well, I, there's so many, I mean, there's like hours of uh, ideas in my head, but we're going to have to keep it short, but, yeah. but definitely a few more, a few big things I want to ask you about there. So, I mean, clearly one of the biggest problems, the, the only, the major bottleneck in the EV industry for the past couple of years and the next decade or, or plus is the battery minerals for and you know mm -hmm. one we don't want to go down the tesla route too much but i mean the vehicle i've been most excited about for a long time is the tesla semi and as i understand it the real reason has been delayed is there's just not enough batteries there's so much demand for the model 3 and the model y that they only have so much so many batteries they can make and adding another product when they can't even really produce as many model 3 model y's as people want is just, just didn't make sense for you for a long time so I mean, it's it's as much as you know. Elon might say, "Oh, we have all the lithium we need." I mean, the the, the critical matter is that it's got to scale up a lot. Same with nickel, which he's highlighted, you know, for the past couple of years, the cobalt's been highlighted. But you know, it's like it's a constant. Like we're always behind. It feels like it feels like for the past yeah. few years, we're always behind. There's always too much demand, not enough supply. And it, I'm just curious when you talk about the critical nature of this, what's the time frame where you see they need to like like, where do you see lithium ion batteries sort of hitting even more of a wall than they have right now? And lithium sulfur being like the critical solution to, to bring us forward. So I think lithium ion batteries are always going to be something we want to make, right? And we're just going to keep making them. They're going to be for high performance vehicles, anything where volume matters a lot. Lithium ion, conventional lithium ion is great, but it is expensive. And that nickel supply is going to make them expensive. Right there, I mean, I think we've already seen that the finally the price of lithium ion batteries has actually slightly gone up 
right? Which, you know, 20 years has been going down, 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 now finally up. And that's that's a uh, indication of the, the raw material supply and the high demand. Yeah, lithium prices spiked. They've dropped real yeah. recently, but then yeah. expectation, you know, that this is yeah. not long-term. But nickel, yeah, I was wondering when you were talking, like, is nickel the real issue? And it sounds like you're saying it's really nickel that's the real issue longer term for bringing yeah. costs down. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also the longer term scarcity issue. Lithium is actually fairly abundant. You can get it from a lot of places. You have to apply some additional technology to do it. The price can go up a little bit, but you can get it. Nickel is harder. It takes a lot, a lot of time to bring a nickel mine online, and there's just not that many of them, and not so many people are excited about strip mining in their backyard for nickel. Yeah, and so lithium ion, lithium sulfur, they both start with lithium. So yeah. is there any difference in how much lithium is needed for lithium sulfur versus lithium ion battery? Or is it going to be sort of the same? It should be sort of the same. Theoretically, it should be the same. Now, you know, there's a practical matter early on. Lithium sulfur cell might use a little more lithium, but not for any reason that engineering can't figure out to bring it in line. We'll jump to some of the benefits. So I have a 2019 Model 3, which has... Uh, you know the, NCA, the traditional yeah. NCA batteries. Yeah. Nowadays, you can get, and it's a standard range. Nowadays, you can get standard range uh, Tesla Model Threes with lithium iron phosphate batteries, where you can charge to 100 percent and not ever think, not think at all about, oh, am I degrading my battery by charging to 100 percent? And I find this really a really appealing, important thing for the mainstream market because mainstream, mm-hmm. I mean, even current buyers like. They yeah. don't want to get into the details of how should you charge your battery. Which they just want to use it the simplest way possible. Charge it to 100%. Drop it. I mean, I know people who would leave it at 100% all the time with a Model yeah. X, and yeah. and you're like, oh, you really shouldn't be doing that, you know. But, but it's like, but people are not going to go researching how to manage their car, you know. So, is there a similar benefit with lithium sulfur batteries? Are there other benefits that will help it become a more mainstream battery option for EVs? Yeah. So one of the great things about lithium sulfur is it's super lightweight. So you can take a look at doubling the energy densities of a lithium of a battery with lithium sulfur compared to conventional lithium ion. The volumetric energy density, not as good as nickel, but we believe we can make it better than LFP. Okay. So you're talking about energy densities that are way beyond LFP and volumetrically about the same. That's amazing. So where does this start with? And when you talk about like the Tesla Semi, lithium sulfur probably is going to get its first large-scale implementation in uh, heavy equipment and trucks, right? Anything that's big, where curb weight matters, lithium sulfur is going to be amazing for that, okay? So your bigger vehicles. And then because the price of sulfur is so low compared to nickel, I expect that this is going to be the battery that's going to be the budget option, right? For for the regular car. Okay. You know, I have I have a model three, you know, that kind of car price makes my hands shake, right? I, I'm just like shocked, but my husband likes the latest and greatest thing. And I used to work for Tesla, so we'll sign that check. But you know, usually I'm more comfortable in a much more budget car, right? Yeah. Well, well I've you know, I've got the poor man's Tesla, the this Tesla Model 3 standard range. Yep. And still it's, you know, 
way far more than I expected. I would, you know, pay for a car. I was car free yeah. for 15 years. I was sort of in this, I was city planning, graduate school city uh-huh. for, for city planning. You know, we focus on biking and this kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of, you know, people still look at the base model three as a very exclusive premium. The monthly payments are yeah. not necessarily cheap. But the biggest, I would say the biggest surprise I find with a lot of owners, and we've written about it a couple of times now, including recently, is how quickly you have to replace the tires and how much the tire replacement costs are of, of owning a Tesla. <laughs> and it's really, you know, my first replacement, I think 16,000 miles, and it was a shocker. And this comes down to a number of factors, but weight is one of them. So yeah. when you said that right away, I was like, well, that's going to, that w- would remove one of the biggest downsides to current EVs that people, I think is is, is kind of a, an issue that's going to spread more and more with you know, I'm, I talk to normal people who are buying Teslas now and they discover this and they're like, they're all of a sudden they're like quite upset, you know, and they're like, well, you probably shouldn't just step on the pedal when you leave the red light every time. Like, that's what I've stopped doing. You know, I, I don't I don't jump on the pedal every time now. But in yeah. general, it's just it's a huge benefit when you talk about a much lower energy density. So this is, yeah. I think, you know, highlight, highlight, we, you can highlight that a bit more and explain more about those. Yeah. Yeah, the the weight is a big deal. I mean, you know, even when I was at Tesla, we were looking at you know, getting rid of fractions of uh, fractions of ounces, you know, and grams on cells just to to reduce the car weight because the battery is such a big part of that. Lithium sulfur, you know, I can make an eighteen six fifty cell that weighs half of what a conventional NCA does, right? And you know, the energy density is comparable. Now, lithium sulfur has a lower voltage range that adds, you're going to add some weight back in because you have to change your series and parallel count of it. So there's definitely technological like difficulties, right? And, you know, I'm still, we're still in the infancy of getting this chemistry to work, but, you know, we are able to make cylindrical cells and pouch cells and we're we're knocking on the door of over 300 watt hours per kilogram, uh, the Model S, NCAs or the Model 3 NCAs sit at about 300 watt hours per kilogram in energy density. So we're there early in the technology and the, uh, you know, the potential for this battery goes out to something like 600 watt hours per kilogram easily. Whereas uh, a nickel based chemistry, even if you pair it with lithium metal, tops out about 450 to 500 watt hours per kilogram. So there's a, there's a roadmap here. Yeah. Really interesting. Well, it's funny because we had this interview set up before and then Bloomberg New Energy Finance and Benchmark Minerals, two of the leaders in this field for tracking these industries, they both come out with these lithium sulfur battery reports and and it's like, oh, this is the thing to look at now. And I was like, wow, look at that. All of a sudden, both of them, like, I mean, they're probably racing each other or something to get a report out. But still, it's it's uh, it was all of a sudden became a big kind of focus of the industry. And I'm I'm curious, like, yeah, your take on why why that is is it because of you guys i mean you can you can you know pump your company a bit but in general like why is that what's going on with the with the industry overall right now well i think i mean i think the reality is people are looking at the mineral situation and nickel is difficult okay and and it's become increasingly apparent that it's difficult then really you only have two options you you look at lfp which has a different cathode you look at lithium sulfur different cathode Everything else, like even most of the solid state stuff still uses a nickel-based cathode, right? So if you're going to look for a new cathode, those are the two options. LFP has come a long way 
from initial stages, it's legitimate in cars, but the energy density is just not that great. So people are like, mm, meh. Yeah. Right. I remember I remember when it was just in the BYD E6. And uh I'm sure you remember this this time. And it got trashed. Like the, the option, the technology was like quite trashed, especially by Tesla fans and followers oh. who were like, you know, Tesla's got the right way to go. You know, no one knew a decade later or less than or a decade later that Tesla would be, you know, selling lithium iron phosphate battery cars as well. But it shows how much that technology has has improved in the past decade. It's yeah. really grown leaps and bounds, just like lithium ion. You've seen from the stage of you know laptops and and stuff popping onto the scene. How can you place lithium sulfur battery technological development and scaling up right now? Like with all that history, with all that context, I'm sure you were working at Tesla and looking at these things too, and you were like, you know, oh, that's not, you know, we got lithium ion batteries right now. We don't need. This We're stuff. good. You probably yeah. laughed at you know all the all the hype around all these research papers and stuff that would come out that maybe now you're reading and you're like oh maybe I'll go back to that paper we laughed at five ten years ago. Where can you put yeah sort of trying to see how those other technologies have developed? How do you feel about lithium sulfur batteries right now and the stage of the development they're at? Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I was at Tesla, we were still trying to make electric cars a thing, right? So that there would be a demand. We couldn't even imagine that there would be this much demand or this much success. It was beyond, beyond everything we thought about. So when I look at lithium sulfur right now, this is still an early technology, right? We're making practical cells on a pilot line, right? We're just commissioning that pilot line. That's like, Sony back in like the early 90s making, you know, some first lithium ion cells for some camcorders, right? That's the stage that lithium sulfur is in. Very boutique chemistry right now, very limited application, very limited production capability. So, you know, if you look at that and you go, well, from the 1993 to about 2012, 2013, when, you know, Model S started really rolling, that was about a 20-year span, span between a boutique chemistry that was used for consumer electronics and a car. That's 20 years. That's a little long. You know, can we compress that evolutionary timeline? I think we can. I think LFP compressed that evolutionary timeline to about a little more than a decade. I think we can get it to a decade because there's a high desire there's a big demand and we can leverage a lot of the things that have already been done in lithium ion space. The nice thing about Lighten's technology is we can make it on pretty similar equipment to conventional lithium ion making. Once we make our sulfurized cathode active material, we can put it through mixers and coders and slitters, just like regular lithium ion. We get a little exciting in um, cell assembly because we use a lithium metal anode. That has to be modified a little bit, but not a lot. So we can leverage a lot of the um, engineering developments and a lot of the um, tooling that the industry has managed for, um, or built and designed for over the last 20, 30 years. So I think with that, we can compress this to be getting lithium sulfur into vehicles by the end of the decade. But yeah, by the end. So that sounds what sort of sound like. I mean, all of these technological evolutions like speed up we've seen that for actually decades if you look at different technological adoptions but then with batteries you see yeah i mean there's got to be enormous amount of interest in what's the next big thing in batteries how do we scale up 
like that yeah. wasn't even there two years ago, I assume, because, you know, really it's been the past two years that have really exploded expectations, I think, for for the bulk of uh, followers. Well, that's fascinating. I mean, by the end of the decade, sounds exciting. Again, you're like, I mean, if you think about your time, you said six years at Tesla. So, I mean, this is uh, 2023, seven years to 2030. I mean, you can see yourself being at the center of a huge shift in, in the industry. Again, it must be extremely like exciting, right? I mean, you really... <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's super exciting. And, you know, that's where like the thought of retirement is like, why the heck would I do that? <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? So I get to do this. At the same time, you know, one of the other things that, that you realize is, as you mentioned, we worked like hell at Tesla in that time period. Like there was almost no time to think. That's what I anticipate the next six years are going to look like for me We're, and the rest of the team at Lighten. And, and you're up know, for it. <laughs> yeah, you know, let's go. Yeah. Right. No. So it's but it's going to mean working like hell. That's there's no two two ways around it. This is not a, you know nine to five, 40 hour week job. This is, you work as much as you possibly can stand. But as long as you're enjoying it, not stressed by it, and it's what's fascinating and, and intriguing yeah. you. I mean, that's what we, even if you go into, you know, anything else, that's what we tend to do. Like if you're, yeah. you go into retirement, you get obsessed about golfing or, or tennis or, or pickleball or whatever else is going, you know, or, you know, some hobby, some other hobby. So as, as long as it's interesting to you and you, you, I mean, you don't have the stress of, I'm sure you're, you're comfortable and you're like, let's just have fun exploring this. And that's sort of the best, uh, that's the best chemistry we can say, right. For making something really happen. Right. Do you have that kind of support in general at light? And is it kind of like, look, have fun, <laughs> go after it. Let's be disruptive kind of mindset, or is it kind of something else? It's, it's not a casual have fun. It's a exciting, this is going to be awesome kind of thing. You're racing like, the industry still. You're racing a lot of yeah. people, right? Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's adrenaline inducing. The uh, the team that's at Lighten, you know, we've got about, you know, 40 researchers or so. And then we have other people working pilot line and so forth. These the folks who've gotten advanced degrees, a lot of them have studied lithium sulfur in grad school, and this is the chemistry they want to do. They've always wanted to do it, and they want to see it commercialized. Yeah. So, for I, a lot I mean, of folks, yeah, we've seen team. we've seen research papers about it for at least the last decade. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times we've written about a breakthrough lithium sulfur. You know, we stopped writing about breakthroughs in research because that's what the the PR teams of universities always how they phrase it, but then yeah. the industry is like, come on, until you you're scaling up com with commercially competitive product, it's not a breakthrough, it's an improvement, it's a, yeah. it's a you know incremental improvement, whatever. But yeah. but really, it's been we've been writing about them for as long as I remember. So it's like there yeah. must be, yeah, a lot of like there must be. Would you say hundreds of of uh, of people who worked on lithium sulfur batteries in grad school, or uh, I don't know. It's not been the mainstream chemistry. So, you know, it's been kind of little pockets of people working this chemistry throughout. But these, you know, these folks find it just so interesting. And I find it so interesting. It's so different. Yeah, how, did so, it, how did it first lynch, uh, clinch you? How did it first, like, get your, how did you first say, okay, I'm going to switch from this to this? Uh, the, the CEO of Lighten, you know, got me to come out and 
you know, talk to him and have dinner. And he's talking to me about these crazy energy densities that he can achieve and, you know, what costs he thinks he can achieve. And I'm thinking, God, the guy is nuts. No one can do this. And then I started looking about this chemistry. I'm like, wait, maybe you can do this, right? And I'm like, well, okay, if, if we can do this, it changes everything. Okay, this is worth a look, right? This is not incremental change. This is a giant change. That's fun. And when did you join? I joined June of last year, so nine months. Well, this is where, I mean, we definitely have to check in again. I, I Many questions came up. I'll ask you if you have any... Any remaining things that we missed that we didn't talk about? I know on on your website there's you know a number of benefits of these mm-hmm. of uh these this type of battery. I don't know if we covered all of them. Abundant supply chain, low cost, straightforward to manufacture. There's some interesting safety performance too, but maybe we should talk about that another time. Okay, cool. And yeah, so just that that extra time question. You know, my wife is Polish. I lived in Poland for over a decade. I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Your your last name is clearly Polish, but you don't have any accent. So I'm just curious your Polish uh, background, what you know of your of your link to that country. Oh, uh, my parents are both from Poland, so I'm first generation American. I was born in the U.S. Okay, have you visited? Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of battery stuff going on there. We live in Wrocław, which has the has ha- has a large LG Chem uh, battery mm-hmm. factory, the largest in Europe. I think still the largest EV battery mm-hmm. factory in Europe. So I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm sure at some point you're going to have Polish battery scientists and engineers working for you, or maybe you'll even build a, a plant there at some point. But thank you so yeah, much for your time. Really intriguing. I think. Uh, it looks like this is a space to watch and way more so when I see your background and uh, and hear your words on it. So you're you're very convincing that, you know, <laughs> you break down that skeptical, like, you know, like you said, you had with the sort of after meeting with the CEO. I think this is a typical response yeah. a lot of us in the industry have after years of following this stuff. And I think to hear you discuss it really gives it an uplifting tone. So thank you. All right. Well, thanks very much. I really appreciate the conversation. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.